Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. On the program today, James Collins continues his conversation with author Mark Hitchcock. Then a little later, we'll look at what the Bible says about the importance of doctrine. Have you subscribed to our brand new podcast? You can now listen to insightful interviews, current events from a biblical perspective, and prophecy that helps you make sense of the world. Subscribe today to both of our podcasts, Watchmen on the Wall, and our brand new podcast, In the Beacon's Light. You can get these podcasts wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure and subscribe today. Author and prophecy scholar Mark Hitchcock returns to the program looking at the latest turmoil in the Middle East and the coming Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. When the Soviet Union collapsed in the early 1990s, many people believed that the Cold War was over for good. Yet today, tensions are high between the United States and Russia. Some say that we're in a new Cold War and the Russian bear is willing to move against anyone who stands in the way of restoring Soviet greatness. Russia is now the new power broker in the Middle East. Is the stage being set for Ezekiel 38 and 39? Back with me on today's Watchman on the Wall is Dr. Mark Hitchcock. Dr. Hitchcock is the senior pastor of Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. He also serves as an associate professor of Bible exposition at Dallas Theological Seminary. Dr. Hitchcock has written over 30 books on Bible prophecy. One of those books is titled Russia Rising, Tracking the Bear in Bible Prophecy. And he's with me today to talk about the prophesied Battle of Gog and Magog. Dr. Hitchcock, thanks again for being back on the program with me today. Yeah, thanks for letting me be back on with you again. It's great to be with you all. Well, your book, Russia Rising, is a page-turner. In the book, you explore the history of Russia and its current military moves. Now, I remember one of the 2012 presidential debates. It seems like President Barack Obama mocked his opponent for calling Russia our number one geopolitical foe. Obama said the 1980s are now calling to ask for their foreign policy back. But it doesn't seem that the Russian bear is is weak and not a threat anymore. It seems like the Russian bear is back and very aggressive. Are we in a new Cold War? And if so, how did we get here? Well, I think we are in a new Cold War. I mean, the recent interplay between President Biden and Vladimir Putin, I mean, you can see, I mean, you know, I don't we're in a Cold War. I mean, it, it couldn't get much chillier, I don't think, than that. It couldn't get much colder. I think the way we got here, you know, obviously the Soviet Union fell apart back in the early 1990s. You know, it was a great day. It was heralded by the whole world. And Russia was fairly unstable for a while. You know, you had 15 different republics or different parts of the Soviet Union, different nations, all divided up. And now, you know, Russia is kind of like in the mother bear. It's lost her cubs mm-hmm. since that time. was trying to kind of regain her footing. And of course, in comes Vladimir Putin, who's former KGB agent. They're saying he may try to be president until 2036. You know, if he's president that long, he will have ruled for 24 years. So basically, he's a new czar. He's not going anywhere. He's not leaving power. And just to get us into the mind of Vladimir Putin a little bit, he said that the greatest catastrophe of the 20th century was the breakup of the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. So in his mind, the worst thing that happened in the entire 20th century was the Soviet Union falling apart. So he wants to reconstitute the Soviet Union. He wants to get these nations back again together and 
of the great Soviet Union that existed in the past. So obviously that's his goal. So his goal is to regain that power. They're flexing all kinds of muscle into the Middle East, in Syria, in Iran, in other places. So there's a real standoff between America and Russia today. Of course, Russia has more nuclear weapons than any nation in the world. A lot of people don't realize that. They have more than we do. Of course, you don't need all of those. A small percentage of them would destroy the world, but still they have a massive stockpile. So that's we're, we're kind of back to when President Obama said the 80s is coming, calling for its foreign policy. Well, that's kind of where we are, mm-hmm. are really back there again. I think with Vladimir Putin, the only thing he really understands is force. So we have to stand up to him as a country. The more we give in to him or try to appease him in some way, he's just going to simply grab more and more power from that. And, you know, we've got the whole issue today of cyber attacks and all kinds of other things that are happening from there. So there's definitely a standoff today between the United States and Russia. Probably that's at a darker point than really at any time other than maybe back during the peak of the days of the Soviet Union. Well, more than 2,500 years ago, the prophet Ezekiel foretold of a Russian-led invasion of Israel at the end of the age. Is the stage being set for Ezekiel 38 and 39? Well, I think it is. You know, when you look at that passage, um, Ezekiel 37 is the chapter before Ezekiel 38 and 39. We always want to remember that because it's a passage that talks about the regathering of the Jewish people to their ancient homeland. And again, that started in a big way in 1948 as the modern state of Israel was founded. So that's a major stage-setting event right there. The Jewish people are back in their land. In Ezekiel 38, it says this is going to happen in the latter years, this invasion of Israel, in the last days for Israel. And so they're regathered now. That passage also says that they're going to be invaded, Israel is, when they're at peace, when they're at rest and living securely, Mm -hmm. which again would fit in with the first half of the coming seven-year tribulation when the Antichrist has some kind of a peace treaty with Israel. And then you have these nations around Israel that are all Israel's enemies that are all mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39. You have Rosh, which is Russia. You have Persia, which is Iran. You have Meshach and Tubal and Gomer and Togarma, which are all Turkey, which those who watch the news you will know that Turkey's in the news a lot today. Their president Erdogan is basically leading them back to becoming a radical Islamic nation. You have Libya that's mentioned, which is a very difficult place today, all kinds of warlords running the country. You have the Sudan, which is another militant Islamic country, radical Islamic nation. So these nations that are mentioned are the nations that will invade Israel. And it's kind of interesting, if you look on a map, look where Israel is, and you look at Russia and these nations of Central Asia and Iran and Libya and Sudan Turkey, you kind of have the far enemies of Israel that surround them, kind of the outer ring of nations. It's interesting when you read that, it doesn't mention Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Gaza, Egypt, these kind of nations that are closer to Israel. It's it's this outer ring. And so when you get down to Ezekiel 38 and verse 6, it's kind of listed the specific nations that will be part of the invasion. And then it says, and many peoples with you. So some people believe that he kind of just mentioned specifically the outer ring of nations, but it'll include the ones on the inside as well. Mm -hmm. So it could just be an all-out, massive, basically Russian-Islamic invasion of the nation of Israel. And again, we've seen the Abraham Accords that were brokered during the Trump administration, but that just highlights how badly Israel needs peace, how desperate they are to have normalization of relations with these nations around them. 
And you can hardly pick up a newspaper, listen to a report on television, you know, news, without some mention of Israel, turmoil over there. It's just constantly this kind of flashpoint in the world. And so we see Israel, you know, existing today. We see them hated by their enemies. And it's not hard to imagine at some point in time, all these enemies are going to come together in kind of one final effort to try to wipe the Jewish people off the map. And that's exactly what the Bible says is going to happen. And that was predicted by Ezekiel 2,500 years ago, Mm -hmm. which, again, that's another mark to me of the inerrancy and the inspiration of the Bible. Who in the world could have predicted all these things that long ago that we see happening today? When we talk about Gog and Magog, Gog is actually a title, correct? What is the meaning of the word Gog? Gog will be the leader of this invasion. Because as you read through Ezekiel 38 and 39, I think God's mentioned 11 times. And he's always spoken of as a person, God speaking to this person, Gog, and Gog says things. So all the other nine proper names in Ezekiel 38, 1 through 6 are all nations or geographical locations. But Gog is the leader of the invasion. We're not really sure the source of the name Gog. Some people will say that it means mountain or kind of a high place, which would kind of speak of the arrogance. Others that I rely upon as well would say that Gog means darkness. Either way, I don't think Gog will be the person's actual name. I don't think the person when he arrives will be named Gog. I think that's just a symbolic way of saying that this person is going to either be, you know, this idea of mountain or exalted, kind of prideful, or this idea of darkness. But it's just used, I think, symbolically in that way. If when this leader comes, this is what he's going to be like. He's going to be a Gog, is what it's saying to us. It'll be some literal human leader in the future. Well, you write about Vladimir Putin, and you spoke about him earlier. Could he possibly be Gog, or is he a type of Gog? Well, time will tell. We don't know for sure now. You know, he could be Gog. I think, you know, we always want to avoid making those kinds of certain identifications, you know, somebody trying to identify the Antichrist or this person's Gog. We don't know for sure. I remember reading some time back, I think it was a blog post by Joel Rosenberg. I'm sure you're mm-hmm. familiar with his writings. He's a good Christian prophecy teacher, writes a lot of fiction, but they're very, very well done. But I remember him making a comment that stuck in my mind because it's, it's so well said. He said, you know, we don't know if Vladimir Putin is Gog, but he says Vladimir Putin is Gog-esque. <laughs> and uh, that's a good way to put it. He's Gog-esque. He's certainly, if he's not Gog, he's certainly a foreshadow, a precursor, whatever term you want to use, of what Gog will be like when he comes. And so if the Lord comes back in the next 10 or 20 years, he certainly could be the one who fulfills that Gog prophecy. But if he dies or is removed from power or whatever, there will be someone like him who will come. And, of course, he has certainly set up a pattern or a template there in Russia. So we can only imagine that whoever comes after him will be as bad as he is or could possibly even be worse. But I think when we see someone like Vladimir Putin, we're certainly looking at a pattern of what Gog will be like. I'm speaking today with Dr. Mark Hitchcock, the author of Russia Rising. This amazing book is available by calling 1-800-652-1144. You can also order a copy at our website, swrc.com. Dr. Hitchcock, you write that no nation today is more dangerous than Iran, especially for Israel. Why is that? Well, Iran, they're a fairly near neighbor of Israel. They're separated. You have to go through Iraq to get there. You know, Iran's trying to cross the nuclear finish line. You know, they regularly chant death to Israel. I mean, they hate Israel with a passion, a venomous hatred. Now, again, when we talk about Iran, I want to be clear about something. This is an important distinction, I think, to make. We're not talking about all the Iranian people. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we love the Iranian people, and we want to see them come to know the Lord. We're talking about the regime, the Mullah regime, headed up by the Ayatollah. You know, they just elected a new president in Iran, a very hardliner. And he replaced the other president. I mean, everybody over there is pretty hardline. There's not anybody over there that's going to be president who's very moderate. But the last president was considered a little bit more moderate. They've elected a, basically the puppet for the Ayatollah there, the Ayatollah Khamenei. But one of the things that makes Iran especially dangerous, and again, we won't have time to go into this in massive detail, but they have a very apocalyptic, genocidal ideology. They believe that their Mahdi is coming back someday, their Messiah. Uh, They believe he's been in hiding now for centuries. He's going to come back. And they believe he'll come back in a time of great bloodshed and warfare. And they believe they can put out the welcome mat for the Mahdi. They can speed his coming. People with that kind of an ideology, you don't want those kind of people to have nuclear weapons. You don't want them to think they can pave the way for his coming. They refer to the United States as the great Satan and to Israel as the little Satan. They believe we need to be obliterated, wiped off the face of the earth. So because of that, Iran really is the most inveterate enemy Israel has. Iran has their surrogates and their proxies with Hamas down in Gaza. Of course, just a few weeks ago, they had that 11-day exchange or battle or war with Israel, with Gaza. 4,000 rockets fired into Israel. You have Hezbollah up in Lebanon. You have Syria. Obviously, it's on Israel's northern border. And Iran has been very involved in the civil war there. They have their tentacles, Iran does, throughout the Middle East. They're trying to get nuclear weapons. And so they're a key player, I think, prophetically. And again, they're mentioned in Ezekiel 38, verse 5. They're called Persia, which is the modern-day nation of Iran. They'll be one of the nations that will invade Israel in the Gog-Magog invasion. And also, they're very closely allied right now with Russia. And they're closely allied with Turkey, who the other nations will be involved in that invasion. So... It's a lot to keep our eyes on, but again, it's just part of this kind of a developing scenario that's very consistent with what the Bible predicts will happen. In the Gog and Magog battle, how will Israel survive the invasion? Well, the only way they're going to survive is God is going to come and supernaturally deliver them. Mm-hmm. They're going to kind of be resting in the security of this treaty with the Antichrist. Again, they'll kind of let their guard down, and you know, this nation will come like a swarm, you know, down into the land, the Bible tells us. They're going to come to try to wipe them off the face of the earth like a cloud. But God is going to intervene. It's going to be, you know, kind of classic Old Testament-type judgment, you know, fire and brimstone from heaven. God is going to send terrible wasting disease. There's going to be a massive earthquake in the land that says that the armies are going to become confused and begin to kill each other. There's going to be massive infighting. It'll be the worst case of death by friendly fire in history. So God is going to come and destroy these armies as they come down into the land of Israel supernaturally. That's the only way Israel will survive, and it'll be a great day of deliverance for the nation of Israel. Dr. Hitchcock, one of the questions that I'm often asked is, where is America in Bible prophecy? And Some see us in Ezekiel 38, 13, but I'm not so sure. Where is the United States in the Battle of Gog and Magog? Well, we're not mentioned. America is not mentioned. Of course, a lot of other countries aren't mentioned. But it's always interesting when we see America absent from any of these prophetic passages because we're the greatest power in the world today, politically, economically, militarily. If we are the great power in the end times that we are today, you would expect us to be mentioned somewhere, but we're not. So that silence has led to a lot of different scenarios about what happens to America. But I think, you know, the one we mentioned yesterday that you talked about is, you know, the rapture, I think, is probably the final straw now. You know, there could be a lot of other things happen to America before 
the rapture, and a lot of these events could converge, you know, and happen in America as well. There could be a convergence of a lot of things, but I think the rapture will be the final blow, maybe we could say, that will decimate our country and cause us to not be the great power we are today. But it does mention there in Ezekiel 38 some nations on the sidelines that are kind of watching this. Mentions, you know, Sheba and Dedan, which those are kind of like Gulf states, really, the more moderate Gulf states in the Persian Gulf area. And then it mentions, you know, the young lions of Tarshish, which could be America, it could be the nations of Europe. We really don't know for sure. It's kind of a little bit of a difficult reference there, but we're clearly not involved in that invasion on either side, clearly mentioned. So, that's one of the things that I think is interesting about prophecy. You know, the absence of America, I think, is the silence there speaks a great deal probably to what our future is. Well, you write in your book that two lessons stand out for our lives today from the war of Gog and Magog. God is sovereign, and God is our only Savior. For those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have the blessed hope of our Savior's soon return. But there may be someone listening to us today who has never accepted Christ as Savior. Dr. Hitchcock, would you take a moment again to share the saving gospel with our listeners? Sure. For a person to become a believer in Christ, there's just a few basic things a person needs to know. First of all, you have to know you're a sinner. Now, that shouldn't be hard for most of us to admit that pretty quickly. I'm a sinner, and we have to admit I need a Savior. I can't save myself. I can't do enough good works. I mean, that's the problem I have. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I have to have somebody else save me. I have to have a Savior. And then we come to the belief that Jesus is that Savior. Jesus Christ is the Savior we need. He's the one who died for us on the cross. And he's the one who rose again. And then we personally trust in him. So it's simple. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus is the only Savior, the only one who can wash away my sins. And I trust in him and believe him and accept him to be my Savior. And when a person believes in him, they get eternal life. They have their sins washed away. The Bible says we're transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So if there's anyone listening who's never trusted Christ, it's really that simple just to call upon him, to admit those things and recognize that you're sinful and you need him and to believe in him and trust him. And the Bible says when we do that, if we believe in him, that God will give us eternal life. The book is called Russia Rising, Tracking the Bear in Bible Prophecy. The author is Dr. Mark Hitchcock. Dr. Hitchcock, I appreciate you taking the time with us to be on the program the last couple of days. Thanks so much. We're grateful for your ministry. Well, I'm grateful for you all as well. Thank you for allowing me to be on the program, and God bless you all. To get a copy of the complete two-day conversation with Mark Hitchcock, call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. A question we all need to think about, is doctrine important? James Collins examines what the Bible says about doctrine in today's installment of The Bible Says. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Here the Apostle Paul reminds the young preacher Timothy of the importance of doctrine. One of the most dangerous developments of these last days is the decreasing emphasis upon doctrine in the church. Recently I heard a well-known television preacher say, we don't preach doctrine, we just preach Christ. Well, you know, Mary Baker Eddy also preached a so-called Christ when she founded her cult of Christian science. 
Charles Taze Russell preached a Christ to his Jehovah's Witnesses. Joseph Smith preached a Christ to the Mormons. However, the Christ which those enemies of the gospel preached was hardly the Christ of the New Testament of the Bible. They preached Christ but denied his deity, they denied his humanity, and they denied his saving power. Who is Jesus Christ? Your answer to that question is doctrine. It's a doctrine. It's called Christology. The subject of doctrine is emphasized 50 times in the New Testament. Paul used the word 12 times in First and Second Timothy alone. In those two books, the Apostle Paul taught the young pastor Timothy about the qualifications that are necessary to be a leader in the church. Since these two books of the Bible emphasize doctrine, we can be sure that the pastor today who ignores doctrine, who does not emphasize sound doctrine, has sadly disqualified himself from spiritual leadership. The Bible says over and over that we must be sound in the faith, which is to say that doctrine does matter. Doctrine matters a lot. Recently, we received a letter from a listener named Betty who writes, I am so grateful for your ministry and your stand for doctrine. Thank you for being bold and preaching the truth of God's Word. Enclosed is a gift to help you continue to share your message of the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Betty, thank you for your contribution to the ministry and thank you for the compliment. We promise to continue to emphasize sound doctrine here on the Watchman on the Wall broadcast. You know, one of the signs that we're living at the end of this age is increasing apostasy. And today, most churches emphasize feeling good about ourselves because, you know, that's what draws a crowd. To preach on sin would send the crowd running away in droves. We're living in a generation today when the Word of God is watered down. I don't know when it started, but I think it actually started about 35 or so years ago when churches started trying to attract big crowds. They decided to attract a crowd, and they had to be appealing and positive. So instead of the Word, they started preaching positive thinking. That reminds me of the little boy who came home from school one day, and he said, Dad, I think I flunked my math test. His dad said, Son, you've got to be positive. The little boy said, Okay, I'm positive I flunked my math test. (laughs) Anyway, there are a lot of preachers that are preaching positive thinking. There's no emphasis today on doctrine. They quit preaching about hell. They quit preaching about Jesus. They watered down the Word of God. The churches that preach these feel-good messages are packed week in and week out because they offer the people what they already want in their flesh. So there is no challenge. There's no conviction, no repentance. There's no regeneration or reconciliation to God. There's no new life because there's no emphasis on doctrine. I followed for one week on Twitter one of the most popular pastors on the planet today. And here is a selection of his tweets from just one short week. First of all, struggle and lack are not your destiny. That's temporary. The reign of abundance is coming. He also tweeted, you're not inconveniencing God by believing big. He's the one that put that dream in your heart. Another one of his tweets read, You have no excuse to give up on your dreams. You have what it takes to become all that you were created to be. Still another tweet read, Don't get discouraged. There's something better for you. Today, declare by faith, I'll see an abundance of goodness. 
I'll see an abundance of goodness. Really? What about all those Christians being butchered at this very moment in the Middle East by ISIS? Is their time also right around the corner? What about the people scattered all over the world who are ardent, sincere followers of Jesus Christ who struggle every day just to put food on the table for their wives and family? Is it just that they aren't believing big enough? What about the multitudes sleeping on concrete floors because of poverty? What about those who have lost their job because of the economic downturn? What about those who are struggling through life-threatening illnesses themselves or they're dealing with family members who are sick? Is their lack of faith the cause of the problems in their lives? Of course not. And it grieves God that people would so misrepresent Him and His Word. Jesus never said that this would be your best life now. He said your best life was to come. Jesus never said to think positive. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Ladies and gentlemen, I just ask you to look around. If the aisles are packed in your church and you're crammed in at the seams, you're probably entering through the wrong gate. By contrast, Jesus describes those who will find salvation. He says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. These apostate churches mention Jesus in passing, but he's not the Jesus of the Gospels. He's another Jesus, which the Apostle Paul warned us about in 2 Corinthians 11.4. As a consequence, the Son of God does not know them, and someday they'll stand before Jesus and they'll petition the king. Matthew 7:23 Jesus said many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles. Jesus points out that it won't be a few who say this to him, but many. Jesus will say to those many, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I don't know about you, but I'm living to someday hear Jesus Christ say, Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. That is why until he comes again or calls me home, I'll continue to preach the sound doctrine found in the Holy Bible. If you'd like to learn more about the topic of the lack of sound doctrine in these last days, let me suggest you pick up a copy of the book Blood on the Altar, The Coming War Between Christian versus Christian. Blood on the Altar features chapters written by today's best Bible teachers, including Tom Horn, Chuck Missler, Terry James, and our own Dr. Larry Spargimino. Blood on the Altar is available now in our online resource center at swrc.com, or you can get a copy by calling one 800 This is James Collins reminding you that the Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Today in our Resource Center, we have a special three-book offer. Mark Hitchcock's books, Russia Rising, Israel and Iran, and Middle East Burning. Separately, each book is available for a gift of $15. But today, you can get all three books for a gift of $25 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. 
You can also order these resources online, swrc.com. Tomorrow, Pastor Larry and James Collins look at the latest headlines. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.